Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is for customer service only and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Ng Associates, a registered investment advisor. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 20 years' experience of providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I have an MBA in finance, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro, and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. We're excited to have you listening to us on our weekly podcast this week. Um, we're up every Friday, like this week. Uh, Every Friday afternoon, John, and we got new shows. All of them are on iTunes mm-hmm. and uh, uh, up on our website, moneymd.net. Yeah, go to our website. We have a little radio button on the right-hand side. You can click that. It takes you to another website. It's called Podbean, and it's where we store the uh, the past podcast, and we have them uh, categorized, different topics and so forth. So if you miss a week or you want to go back and re-listen to a topic, make it very easy for you to listen to. So go check it out, podbean.moneymd.net. Uh, Exactly. No excuse for not listening to the Money Doctors right. this week. And check us out on our website, moneymd.net, where you can link to us there. You can ask us your questions and uh, link to our previous shows. Um, you can also reach us directly by email at info at moneymd.net. So we'd love to hear from you. Um, well, John, I think we have an awesome show today. Um, as always. As usual. You know, we're going to talk a little bit about Christmas and Christmas budgets and oh, how that, to trim that your B-word. Christmas budget. Yeah, it is. But really? this is kind of fun because these are, are some unique ideas of how to save money they are. on Christmas shopping. And to me, quite frankly, I think they're more meaningful than the typical gift you buy. Mm-hmm. I agree. That's a good one. And then we're going to follow up, Steve, with an article out of Fidelity. It's a, a good one about can rising markets mean rising risk and really uh, starts to look at rebalancing and some of the the technical side of the investing side of it but kind of puts in perspective a little bit we've been on a bull run for a number of years and if you haven't made any changes or adjustments you could be setting yourself up yeah particularly last month has been really good in the market so uh you know now may be a time to take a look at that absolutely great segment very timely All right, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from Freddie Mac, which is a government organization. And uh, the average 30-year fixed-rate mortgage uh, over the last 45 years, so this is looking at over a couple of decades, uh, is 8.26%. So, again, the average 30-year fixed-rate mortgage has been over 8% over the last 45 years. Wow. Right now, it's just shy of 4%. So it's risen recently since the, yep. the Trump election, <laughs> yep. um, increasing a little bit. 4% still historically is extremely That's low. That's a great rate, you know, and I know it doesn't feel like it because, heck, I mean, you were looking at 3% back just six months ago. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's You know, if you were if you had great credit um, and you put 20% down, but uh, still 4%, you know, that's a good rate. At some point, I bet in the future we'll be talking about 5 and 6% rates again, which is more of a normal Exactly. Uh, that'll feel that'll feel bad. That will <laughs> for people Compared, buying houses. We've been down here so long now yeah, we really since have. 2008. Mm-hmm. We've been down in you know below four, and uh, so it, it's the people are in for a rude awakening. You know this is not normal. This is still great rates. This should not. Uh, slow down your idea of buying a house or, you know, refinancing. Yeah, if you haven't refinanced, you got to look at doing that now because rates are likely going to go up. They're likely to go up. I don't think there's anybody that doesn't believe the Fed's not going to raise rates 
here this coming this coming month in mm -hmm. December right here. Um, you know they're going to raise rates. I mean it's just a done deal. So uh, we'll see. Almost as much as the Carolina Clemson game this last weekend. I'm surprised <laughs> you didn't even bring that, that up. That was a done deal, John. Yeah, I hate to bring that up. By the you know, first quarter, yes. I'm glad you didn't. I thought I'd go ahead and get it's it out of the little way. Little brutal. Might as well get the elephant out of the room. There you go. Yeah. Ouch. Ouch for you, Carolina. All right, moving right along there. here. Moving right along, though. We won't uh, we won't dwell on that. Um, yeah, so let's talk about budgets here. You know, I know we're treading a little bit on tradition here when we talk about Christmas and budgets, um, but Christmas shouldn't be an excuse for blowing the budget or sending the credit cards, you know, into orbit. I mean, for most people, Christmas is a great time of year to enjoy the family, celebrate the season, exchange some gifts. Of course, the problem, though, John, with Christmas, it's also a time when many people just explode the balances on their credit cards. And they ruined the following year with more debt. So there's a reason that January is the worst month for most charities. I mean, people are out of money and they stop giving for a while. But Christmas is also a stressful time for some people as they struggle to come up with the money for nice gifts, you know, on a tight budget. And sometimes I wonder why we don't just, you know, exchange money. Maybe. <laughs> It'd be a lot easier. It would. Just give money and you get about the same amount back and it doesn't really cost you anything, right? No, I know. That's not the that's not the reason for the season and, and that's not uh that's not quite in the spirit of Christmas, but uh it would be easier. But the point here though is I mean, we have to keep it under control. Yeah, absolutely. And and Steve, you know, you get in a trap sometimes when you're trying to you know, get that perfect gift. It's sometimes easier to buy an expensive gift just to make sure it's appreciated. So you got to resist that temptation. You know, it may be a little late for some of you out there uh, to ease the burden this year if you've already killed it on Black Friday or yeah. Cyber Monday. Uh, we went through that, you know, last week on some of the deals. Um, but you can help for the future, and you can help come out with a plan for next year and actually start discussing this with your family. I mean, after all, the spirit of the season really is about, you know, love and family. It's not about spending, you know, so much money that becomes painful. So we've got some ideas here to help you keep Christmas from becoming a financial burden for 2017. So here we go. Absolutely. These are some great ideas. Yeah, the first one here on the list is, you know, it's one of my favorite, and that is to agree between the families that all the gifts will be homemade. Hmm. I love homemade gifts. You know, I mean, everybody has some kind of talent that they can use. I mean, we did this one year, and you really save a bundle. Obviously, you know, if you don't draw names, this could become a huge task to create all these crafts or presents. But if you're already fairly handy and you draw names, this could be a wonderful tradition with some very meaningful gifts. One year, I built some really nice bird feeders that year um but we weren't drawing names back then so it was a huge job <laughs> i mean i had to make probably 20 of these things um but you know they were real nice they had copper roofs they were hand painted foliage on the outside kathy did the painting part i did the construction part we stole the whole design from the audubon shop back in down in charleston hmm. and it was still there um and where it was listed for like 250 dollars wow so that was like 10 years ago um, but, you know, I still see those. I went to my aunt's house just here at Thanksgiving, and she still has it hanging out in the yard. Awesome. And, yeah, it looks awesome. You know, it's got the, you know, the, the, the copper roof and just, you know, people really treasure that and they keep it. Um, so those handmade gifts can really be kind of a family heirloom. Um, we also have paintings. We have items from family members. I'm sure you do probably from some, you know, homemade gifts uh, that they did one year. 
So it's a great memory. <clears throat> and, you know, I built a great coffee table, in fact, for my, uh, my mother-in-law, Kathy's mom. Uh, she seems to really enjoy that every year when we go there. I see that. Um, saw that just a couple weeks ago. You know, even the kids can do some kind of art or get someone to help them build something or sew or knit. You know, it doesn't have to be something that's incredible to be a real keepsake and very much appreciated. And many of these items, you know, they turn out to be family heirlooms, as I mentioned, which are much more meaningful than a new shirt. So if you don't have a skill, then, you know, just find a recipe and make some nice candy. Um, it'll be very much appreciated and it'll cost very little. So that's our, that's kind of the first one here is just make some homemade gifts, yeah. save a ton of money and it'll be more appreciated. Yeah, it's a great idea. Another one here on the list, Steve, is to, to draw names for gifts and not buy every single person a gift. It gets extremely expensive and you know, okay, maybe the kids aren't going to like that. Um, so you still maybe buy anyone under 12, uh, you know, a limited gift each time, but you can cut down the number tremendously by just buying one decent gift between the extended family. And, you know, I, I know you guys do that, and, and we certainly do that as well. And it makes get, buying gifts easier. You're able to focus your energy on just a few gifts versus, you know, 25 or 30. Exactly. And, you know, everybody saves hundreds of dollars on gifts. You don't have to buy, for some families, you know, 30 to 50 people. Um, so maybe you have that down to a much smaller number. Um, think about it. I mean, if two parents and three children's families, uh, four draw names, you're buying one gift versus eight to 12 gifts. That's right. And so you're going to save a tremendous amount. I mean, sometimes it's thousands of dollars if you can do this, but it's it's something that you have to set up on the front end and um, talk to people, make sure everybody understands. And again, kids, you know, under 12, whatever the number is, you know, still you can get them a gift. But for, for adults, um, a handmade gift is great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's better than that? You know, draw names and do handmade gifts. I, I think you, that's terrific. I tell you what's better is a vacation. I love vacations, and that's our next idea, John. That's one of my favorite. I like that. I figured it was. I'm exactly. surprised it's not number one. Yeah, exactly. No, it's number three, though. It's pretty high up there. Yeah, I mean, this is one of my favorites. Um, we've never quite been able to pull this off, though. It is a little bit tricky because, you know, you got to get everybody in the family kind of to schedule this together. Um, you know, but it simply involves taking a great extended vacation instead of exchanging presents. Sure, this can be costly, but, you know, if you substitute this for some other big vacation, then you're knocking out two for one. And this also um, can be something that's not so expensive, like renting a big house in Florida or taking a cheap cruise. I mean, either way, you forego buying gifts um, and get to create some great memories with extended family in a great place. And meanwhile, you replaced another sweaty summer vacation at the beach with something much more memorable. Also, I mean, most family vacations, you know, most people vacation with their same family every year. And they don't, they don't see their family at Christmas very long. So this is where you get to spend more than one day together. I mean, be careful, though, not to go um, where everybody else goes. I mean, like Disney World, <laughs> it, it could be very expensive and it would defeat the whole purpose. So you might consider taking a vacation the week before Christmas with family. The places are deserted, and the prices mm -hmm. are a ton cheaper yeah, if you do it the week idea. before Christmas. Nobody's vacation the week before Christmas. I've been to those places yep. with our family, and, you know, you save a ton. 
Yeah, that's a great one. Um, another one here on the list, Steve, is um, is shopping for deals. I mean, just because it's Black Friday doesn't mean that um, you're going to save a ton of money. I mean, I know they advertise that's it right. that way, but you know, everyone knows that winter clothes are fifty to seventy percent off in January. So you know, maybe you delay purchases or you plan for the next year. Summer clothes, same thing. In August is a great time to get a deal. So start shopping throughout the year. I mean, you know, kind of set it up. If you have a list, you know you're going to buy ten presents. Um, you know buy things on sale. That's what Tammy does. I'm sure Kathy and yep. you guys do the same thing. So there are ways to get deals during the year. And so when you come to Christmas, you have just a limited amount that you have to buy and you've saved a ton of money. Yeah. I mean, you can even make a deal to exchange Christmas gifts in January. Mm-hmm. So you can buy it after Christmas. Um, we kind of do that with with my mom's side of the family. You know, that's sort of what Kathy and I do too. We allocate an amount of money that each of us can spend on Christmas and then we spend it at our leisure in January. Hmm. On Amazon, no doubt. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> but uh, it's a great way to do it. Yeah, the last money-saving idea here is, though, is to give a gift to charity or a needy family instead of exchanging gifts. I like that. Yeah, I like this one. You know, I've heard of families spending a day on a Habitat for Humanity house during the holidays. Some families will pull their money, Christmas money, and help out a needy family with a nice but budgeted amount. You know, a family might spend their their money to support missionary, you know, or for disaster relief. Either way, the giving spirit's demonstrated without all the expectations of an expensive gift. So I think that's a great idea as well. So the takeaways here, John, are, you know, Christmas should be a warm, loving experience without trampling on the budget. So get creative and coordinate with other family members to control the cost. Everyone will appreciate it very much. Draw names to limit the number of gifts and agree to some homemade gifts and crafts instead of buying some trendy expensive items. Take a vacation instead of exchanging presents or or give a gift of service or dollars to a charity instead. There are lots of ways to control the cost, but it takes some coordination. So have that discussion this year at Christmas with your family to agree to take the financial pain out of celebrating the ultimate gift. So if you have questions or want help with that, shoot us a line at info at moneymd.net. All right, that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this question comes from a client about inherited IRAs. Um, uh, mother passed away and she inherited uh, an IRA. She was a beneficiary. And so the question is, Is can I take that money out without paying taxes? And the short answer is no. No, we Uncle, wish you could. Uncle Sam is going get, to get his chunk. Um, so when you do, you know, when you when you're the beneficiary of an IRA, you can pull it out, but you're going to be taxed on that at whatever your you know tax bracket is. Um, but if you put it into an inherited IRA, you're still going to have to take a little piece of that out based on your life expectancy. However, it can grow and it can be used as a retirement De- account. Defer it for a long time. You can defer time. it for a long period of time. So really, no way to get out of paying taxes on it. Um, you know, you could certainly uh, you know donate. Um, when you pull it out, you can donate to charity, which would help you on your taxes. But when you pull it out, you're going to taxes. Yeah, just to expand this question, is there any way to ever get money out of a regular IRA without paying taxes? Yes. Is there? RMD? Without paying taxes. Oh, you give it to a charity. Right. That's it. Yep, yeah, yep. That, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. I hadn't thought of that one. Yeah. That's good because if you take it yourself, you're always going to pay taxes. Yeah. I don't care when you take it or who takes it. Eventually, you're going to be taxed on it. But you're right. You can give up to $100,000 a year. 
to a charity. If, if you're over 70 and a half and you have to take an RMD, you can give up to $100,000 a year straight to a charity. But other than that, you've... That's it. <clears throat> yeah. Good good question of the week. Uncle Sam's coming to knocking. They're coming. They want their share of it, no <clears throat> doubt. All right. Um, that leads us up to our next topic here, and that is can rising markets mean rising risk? Um, you know, markets have been have been doing pretty well recently, so... That's a great question. Yeah, this is a, an article out of Fidelity, Steve. And, um, you know, one of the things that this is focusing on is, you know, just revisiting your investment mix and looking at it, making sure it's the right risk profile. Um, you know, the bull market has been good for, for stock investors. I mean, the S&P 500 index has been climbing for, you know, seven years now. It started off in March of 2009, which was the low of the Great Recession at 675 and it's nearly, uh, you know, over 2,200 um, right now. So that is a, a ginormous, um, you know, increase. And while that's been good news for yeah. stock investors, even amid, you know, the positive returns, it's certainly worth at looking at your portfolio, looking for the unintended consequences of a market rally. I mean, the rise in stock prices may have added risk to your portfolio, and you don't even know it. We saw this back in uh, 2007. I mean, the markets had a phenomenal five-year run, and then, you know, the 2008 happened, and people were surprised. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, the big run-up in U.S. stocks, you know, has outpaced international markets, bonds, and cash pretty much across the board, um, particularly recently. I mean, that may have left more of your portfolio in U.S. stocks than you had planned. And while overweighting U.S. stocks would have actually helped returns in recent years, it, it may warrant a close review. I mean, this is because historically a portfolio becomes more – a portfolio, as it becomes more U.S. stock heavy, it has experienced bigger price swings, more volatility um, than a, a well-diversified mix of investments. Bonds and cash also may have lagged in recent years. They have, certainly. But uh, they have the potential to help a portfolio during downturns, as they did in 2008. So you want to make sure you still have a great diversified portfolio mm-hmm. and make sure it's balanced properly between large and small, international, U.S., bonds and stocks, fixed income across the board. Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, we, we believe having a mix of stocks, bonds, and cash – uh, based on your goals and your financial situations is is really a vital part of being successful. So making sure you understand that diversification, but just setting the mix isn't enough. I mean, to reap the benefits of your plan, you should really revisit um, investments as markets move and your situation changes. And if you haven't re- rebalanced your portfolio over the last few years, you may be surprised at how much additional risk uh, you're taking on. So, you know, let's let's do an example here. Let's say the last time you decided to rebalance your portfolio was during the bear market uh, in January of 2009. I mean, since then, the markets have made some really big changes, as we alluded to earlier. Um, that hy- hypothetical, hypothetical portfolio, which was about a 50-50 mix back in 2009, is up to about 67% in stocks. So you've increased, you know, the stock portion yep. about 17%. Um, you know, and so, in other words, your risk has significantly increased from what you originally had it at. So that's something that you need to take a look at and um, make sure that it's the right risk level for your situation today. Exactly. And history also shows that if you rebalance, it actually helps your return. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, what happens is when markets are down, you're buying more stocks because the bonds have typically done well, better than the stock piece. Um, so you're buying more stocks, and when they recover, you own more shares. 
So volatility actually helps you when it comes to rebalancing. You're buying more shares at lower prices, and you're, you get a higher return over time by doing that, as well as staying in the right allocation, as you just mentioned, and lowering your risk. But there is nothing wrong with having more stocks in your portfolio, more inequities. In fact, many investors need to take on more risk to meet their financial goals, but that decision should be the result of your planning process, not dictated primarily by the market. So if you if you do have <clears throat> a lot more risk than your situation warrants, that could be a recipe for trouble with volatility returns. So you mm -hmm. really need to take a look at your portfolio. You need to make sure that you have the right allocation. There's two things you need to consider. One of them is your time horizon. You know, how long do you have? Are you taking money out of your portfolio? Um, and, you know, are you going to keep the majority of it invested? But the other one is your comfort level, your risk tolerance. You know, how well do you sleep at night when markets take some huge downturn? Um, you know, that's really important. you got to consider both those factors when determining the right risk level. Yeah, so rather than letting your investments just drift from the market, it, it may make sense to rebalance your holdings periodically, say once or twice a year when your your uh, mix drifts a set amount. <clears throat> you know, maybe uh, you have a certain percentage. Um, you know, we, we look at, um, you know, our, our portfolios quarterly and make adjustments if it's above a tolerance range that we've set on there. So it needs to be something that you look at periodically. I would say at a minimum once a year, you got to be looking at your investments to make, make those adjustments. And if you need to make a change, you can trade out of one holding and move money into another one. But make sure you um, consider transaction charges, taxes, if you're in a taxable account, can make a big deal. Um, so you got to be wary of just moving money around because there are you know ramifications to that as well. Another approach is to target future investments to bring your mix back into line with your plan. You know, you're, you're, if your portfolio is tilted towards stocks, maybe your next few contributions, um, you know, come towards bonds or cash. And we do a little bit of that with distributions when the markets have done well. We'll we'll fund some of those distributions out of the stocks, you know, right. to, to kind of get it back into line a little bit. So there are some other approaches to to making sure you don't drift too far out of out of uh, whack. Yeah, a lot of 401k plans now offer automatic rebalancing. And so you need to make sure you sign up for that if your 401k plan offers that so that, you know, it's automatically being rebalanced. I've seen a lot of 401k plans. I know you have too, John, when you log on or they log on with you, you know, and you take a look at it and they don't have rebalancing set up. In fact, they don't even that they didn't even change their current allocation. They only changed their future contributions. Usually you have to go in, you have to change your future contributions, your current allocation, mm -hmm. and you have to sign up for rebalancing. Right. So there's several steps in that process, and it's easy to, to just gloss over it and, you know, end up three years down the road really, really messed up. So along with rebalancing, though, you'll want to make sure that your mix you're using reflects your current goals and situations. So at least once a year or in the event of a major change in your life, you should sit down revisit your approach and you know make I mean it also does make sense to review your individual stock mutual fund holdings at that time as well as your basic financial plan you need to review all this in light of your overall financial plan you know what are your goals what's your long-term plan what are you trying to get to what return do you need to get to your long-term goals mm -hmm. Um, you know, maybe they need to sit down with an advisor to do that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, there's no doubt, Steve, an investment portfolio, it takes, you know, some routine maintenance to stay on track. I mean, this is not something that you can set it and forget it. And that's one reason why people, 
you know, use advisors. Um, you know, different advisors do different things. Um, you know, we do the rebalancing and distribution processes for folks, and, and a lot of people communicate to us. They like that, and so they don't have to worry about, you know, managing and maintaining that, that piece of it. But it is something, if you're, if you're not connected with a, an advisor, it is something that you want to take a look at and make sure that you're doing and monitoring your current mix to make sure it fits with what you're doing. That's right. I also see a lot of people that think they're well diversified because they own <clears> – <throat> maybe 10 mutual funds in their in their 401k or in their portfolio but when you look at it you know they don't have a good representation of microcap stocks small stocks which have done incredible mm -hmm. over the past month or two here and have doing really well this year you know they don't have international small they don't have emerging markets they don't have uh US small value you know, there are some key asset classes you need to try to make sure you have in your portfolio, and you need to rebalance into that, and you need to have a proper allocation that gets a significant representation of all those asset classes. So you're not just in two or three asset classes. You're in seven or eight asset mm -hmm. classes or even 10 or 12. That's what we really like to see. Yeah, a lot of times those 10 mutual funds you referenced will have the same large stocks, the, you know, the Apples and the Exxons and so forth. So when that segment doesn't do well, you're all, not all, but a majority in those sectors, then your whole portfolio will, will suffer. It will suffer. I mean, this year, you know, this year <clears throat> we've seen that small stocks and value stocks are doing really well. Um, large U.S. stocks aren't doing nearly as well. So people that are stuck all in large U.S. stocks just because they bought a bunch of mutual funds that tend to invest in those, they think they're diversified, but they're significantly lagging the market. I've done some comparisons here recently, like the SRS SIP plan compared mm -hmm. to our portfolios, and it's the allocation that really is, is causing it to suffer. They just don't have access to a lot of the really good um, asset classes that are excelling this year, like right. microcap stocks. So you need to take a hard look at it. Just make sure you're really well diversified and you got the best allocation you can have. And then diversify, uh, rebalance. Rebalance it to make sure you keep that allocation and you don't get in too much risk. Okay, great topic. And that leads us up here to our final one, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, so Steve, now is the time to start to look at your budget for 2017. you got a month left in, uh, in this year. Um, start to to think about next year. You can look at your, your year-to-date numbers, but I always suggest to, to do it from an annual standpoint because that catches a lot of expenses. If you do it monthly, let's say you have an insurance payment for your cars in April. Well, if you just budget for January, it's not going to catch that. That's so right. if you look at it from an annual standpoint, you can budget a little bit in January for that April payment. So look at it on an annual basis. Um, you can start to, to work on that high level, start, you know, setting some goals. I know, you know, Tammy and I, and I know you and Kathy talk about, you know, this as you go through December right. and January as well. And um, you just kind of talk about what your priorities are going to be for next year. Yeah, exactly. And this is the time of year really to do that, like you said, to go through and in January, update your budget. If you don't have one, you know, for Pete's sake, get a budget. Yes, Create a budget. It doesn't have to be complicated. I mean, 10 categories is great. I mean, I don't think you have to have no, I don't 25 categories. Yeah, it can be very you know, it can just, you want to make it simple, something you can maintain, something that's not such a burden. And just keep it simple. And if you have credit cards that you use and you pay off, hopefully you pay those off every month, you certainly need to. Um, then you just go through those credit card statements and some of them will automatically break it down for you. I, I love uh, American Express. You know, if you have one of their 
their cards and you use those a lot, you can go through and get an annual report, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the year. And it breaks it down automatically for you about what where you spent the category. So check that against your budget and make sure you've captured that and that it, it reasonably matches up with what your budget was and what you think you spent for the year. And then make update your budget with those new numbers. And a lot of banks now offer that too where they'll break down your debit card yep. expenses and um, – you know, run those reports into the year, update your budget, make sure it coincides with what reality is, and then figure out where you need to trim because mm-hmm. you need to get on track for retirement, right? That's right? You need to fully fund a Roth IRA every year. That's a that's a fantastic opportunity if you're qualified to to contribute to a Roth. Fifty five hundred dollars a piece for under fifty, sixty five hundred dollars a piece if you're over over fifty. Um Fully fund that. It's going to be tax-free yeah. forever in retirement. It's hard to do that if you don't have a budget. That's it. That's the key here is get a budget. All right. That brings up to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week for more prescriptions for your financial health. Check out our check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net. Give us a call, Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one.